You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films the Criterion Collection streaming video service, The Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. In these follow-up episodes, my guests and I offer a few recommendations for films that fit our theme and are available on other streaming services. Britt Condiff joins me to continue our conversation about The Masters, films from some of cinema's greatest filmmakers. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out videos by Daisuke Beppu. In this series of warm and inviting videos, Daisuke Beppu shares his thoughts and reflections on the Criterion Collection, home media, and the films he loves. Find his videos on YouTube and search for Daisuke Beppu. Criterion Cast a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. I'm here once again with Britt Condiff. Britt, thank you so much for continuing our conversation today. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Well, for these follow-up episodes, we're going to talk about a few films on streaming services other than the Criterion channel that fit our month's theme. Britt and I already talked about films from master filmmakers that are currently streaming on the Criterion channel. So we're going to talk about a few other films that fit the theme that are currently on other streaming services. Before we dive into the titles that we're going to talk about, I'm just curious, Britt, What are some of the other streaming services that you use? Oh, good question. Let's see. I use a lot of Amazon Prime just Mm because they have a lot of their own original content. Netflix every once in a while, Hulu, HBO Max, and Mubi. I just resubscribed to Mubi, Mm. M-U-B-I. That's a great streaming service for Criterion Channel fans. It's another like tailored, independent, foreign cinema streaming service that I really enjoy. Yeah when lockdowns and everything hit and I wasn't going to be able to take off my normal few weeks of time for the Seattle International Film Festival and that was going to be canceled. I decided to do a at-home virtual film festival for a couple of weeks and Mubi was an incredible resource for that. I really, I can't recommend Mubi highly enough. Yeah, it's a great one for sure. I did a similar thing because I'm so, I mean, you and I are both festival folk and we're yeah. so used to either working or attending. So this year I uh, did a, a few screenings with the Milwaukee film. They've been super easy and super accessible for their online film festival. And I had a really good time watching some titles there. That's great. That's really great. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our films on other streaming services. Britt, what is the first film that you're going to talk about today? First film I'm going to talk about is actually on HBO Max. They actually have a pretty pretty good catalog of films in general, but just films that if they weren't on Criterion, they will be again at some point. They got a good number of art house films on there as well. The one I'm going to be talking about today is Ashes and Diamonds by Andre Vida. It's part of the trilogy that he filmed. The first film of his in that trilogy is The Generation. And then Canal after that, and Ashes and Diamonds is the last installment. Mm -hmm. It's a Polish trilogy exploring the beginning, the during, and the post-war of uh, the Polish involvement in World War II. Andrzej Wajda is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. 
and I can't speak highly enough about this film and his work. Ashes and Diamonds follows one of the boys that was recruited to be a soldier during the war, and it starts off as the last day of World War II, and so it kind of follows this character around. It's very striking visually. It's got a lot of really good shots. You could tell that he's a big Orson Welles fan. There's a lot of influence from a lot of Orson Welles' films, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it, it deals a lot with kind of like that post-war mentality of you have been a soldier this whole time and all you know is, is they, I mean, they recruit these kids super young, right? So that's mm-hmm. all you know. You know, you go to battle and you go home when it's done. That's all you know. And you just see just chaos and destruction and you're just surrounded by just so much sorrow and longing to just like be with your family in some sort of sense of normalcy. And I think this film does a really good job of kind of exploring what happens, you know, when the war ends and you go home, like, what do you do with yourself at that point? Mm. There's no sort of transitional period that is really focused on getting you transitioned out of that war zone back into, you know, the workforce or, you know, going home and being with your family or starting a family or just kind of seeking some sort of routine and normalcy again. So follows the main character and just how he's kind of dealing with that and all he really knows is violence and destruction and loneliness and he tries very hard to you know find love and kind of re-examine himself as a Polish citizen and what his place is in this world because all he knows is that his people were attacked viciously Mm. for frankly no reason and so there's this identity struggle of him wanting to reacclimate into Polish culture while also trying to silence that voice in his head of, you know, you're a soldier, you fight, that's it. It touches a little bit about, I think, post-traumatic stress syndrome, but doesn't go super into it, which I would have liked to see a little bit more of. But again, this is also filmed in 1958. So there's, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's a very beautiful film. I have the lighting and like structuring of the scenes are really just gorgeous. I can't recommend this film highly enough. Yeah, his War Trilogy is one that I have been meaning to see and just have not watched yet. And I know he was making films up until just a few years ago. And he's a filmmaker that I've been meaning to explore. So yeah, I may need to just dive into that set of films and start exploring his work because that sounds really, really amazing. Yeah, I I think you'll definitely like his work. Just conversations that we've had after class and stuff when we were still in school. Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on it when you get a chance to watch it. There's there's such fantastic films. The women that are filmed in those movies are really strong characters that have really awesome character development, which is such a rarity from that time period because, mm-hmm. you know, American films, the women were the object of the male gaze and the spectacle, and there wasn't a lot of depth to them. So it was really nice to see in a lot of European cinema, especially Polish cinema from him, that he really takes time to like really write the women in his films with just lots of lots of emotional range lots of character developments they're not just objects of the men's desire you know some of them are soldiers and they are fighting side by side with these men or they're at home taking care of the household while you know they figure out what the heck is going on with this this war stuff really really great trilogy i highly recommend that's great well the first 
film that I am going to recommend is the Small Axe Anthology of Films by Steve McQueen from last year on Amazon Prime. It is a series of five films, but I kind of think of this a little bit more in line with something like Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage or Kieslowski's The Decalogue or Fassbender's Eight Hours Don't Make a Day. Even though it is five installments, this is essentially one cohesive work of cinema. And I think that the Small Axe Anthology is just a monumental work from Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen is a filmmaker that I have loved from the the first film of his that I've seen, which was Hunger, about the hunger strikes by members of the IRA during the 80s on through Shame and 12 Years a Slave and Widows. I have really, really enjoyed what and appreciated what Steve McQueen attempts to do with his work. He essentially is doing, he was a video installation artist before he moved into narrative feature filmmaking. And he takes a lot of the aesthetics that he had as a video installation artist and has translated them into narrative features. So there is a a visual poetry that he has in what he does. And I just think that the Small Axe series may be the, the pinnacle of, of what he has done. I think that it is an absolutely incredible series. It follows the West Indian community in London over the course of several decades. Each film stands on its own. But each film builds on the themes and ideas of the film that preceded it. Mangrove is the first film in the anthology, and it follows the police harassment of the Mangrove Cafe, which was a restaurant that catered to the West Indian community. And after protests turned into the police beating the protesters, The leaders and organizers of the protesters were then arrested and charged with starting a riot, and it then becomes a court drama. But the film really examines the the racism and the, the broken system that was putting people of color and the Black community kind of always targeting them for uh, harassment and for discrimination. Lover's Rock, which is the second anthology, is this kind of beautiful oasis in the midst of these stories that are dealing with oppression. It's the story of a house party. It's a story of first love. There's this incredible, maybe 10-minute sequence all set to one song that just feels like time stands still as you're watching it. If you've ever had that experience of falling in love and where time feels like it's elastic, it feels like one moment stretches on for almost an eternity. He captures that visually so well. It's just this this beautiful film. And, and while the racism and the the outside world, you can see it kind of along the outside it's still the, the film itself feels a little bit like this safe space in the midst of all of that the film tackles black west indian members of the community trying to change the system from within it looks at the way the education system is broken but each of these films while it deals with the injustices and while it deals with the discrimination it never 
lets the story be solely focused on that. It also is really keyed into the fact that it's through community, it's through our connections with one another, it's through through these these interpersonal relationships and through the vibrancy in life that these communities have with one another that they can make things better. And it's a beautiful series that I just cannot recommend highly enough. It's pretty incredible and deeply moving. The cumulative effect of all five films is pretty staggering. And I just think that what Steve McQueen has done here is really incredible. Wow. Yeah, I definitely have to add that to my list now. And I do appreciate filmmakers that do that, that have, you know, sort of a commentary that they want to kind of address, but also not making that the focal point and just being like, this is the groundwork for the narrative, but we're going to go beyond that and kind of push the boundaries. And it sounds like that's what he does with a lot of his work. So I'll be excited to check that one out. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, the films are relatively digestible. The first one is, I think, two and a half hours. One of them is an hour and a half and the rest are around a little over an hour. So they're all pretty good, pretty good lengths for, for watching. So. Britt, what is the the second film that you would like to talk about today? Second film is also on HBO Max. Really, really digging that up for sure. Nice. Is Cleo from Five to Seven by Agnes Varda. Mm. This is a film I love to revisit every couple of years. It's always been a favorite of mine, especially when kind of circling back to an earlier conversation we had about the male dominance in the masters category. I try to watch as many Agnes Vardas as I can just because she was, she'll never admit this, but (laughs) depending on who you ask, was the only woman to direct films during the French New Wave. And so this is probably the most classic piece of hers from that era. And it follows the main character around who is a celebrity. She's a French singer who's also a hypochondriac. And the opening shot of this film is really striking and The opening shot is filmed in color and the rest of the film is in black and white, which I love films that do that when they do it well. I mean, Wizard of Oz is the most classic example of that, but Cleo from Five to Seven does an awesome job of that too. It's the opening shot of her visiting a fortune teller because we've come to find out that she is awaiting some literal life and death test results. So she is visiting a fortune teller, getting her cards read because she just can't wait the two hour waiting period to figure out if she is going to be diagnosed with cancer or not. And so she's just kind of trying to ease her mind and trying to get the answers now because she's very impatient and very much a hypochondriac. And so she goes to this fortune teller and that's all filmed in color of what her outcome is going to be. And then it cuts to just kind of her processing all this and kind of going through the what ifs and she tries her best to carry on a normal day. Like she goes hat shopping and visits with a friend and like hangs out at home with her dog and there's a sort of unease to it because you're like also Mm -hmm. rooting for her and like you really start to fall in love with this character as she becomes to become a real person so to speak because she's very used to just being like a celebrity and so she is used to portraying herself the way that she thinks that other people view her and there's a really nice slice of humanity that goes with this movie of her just kind of dropping the celebrity persona and just really coming to terms with this being a possibility for her and kind of all the things that she wanted to do with her life that she hasn't really explored yet and her just kind of refinding her true self again in this piece I think is really stunning the costuming is really great 
I'm a huge fan of 60s fashion. So if hmm. you really like that 60s mod fashion, especially in France, she's got some incredible dresses and set design. It's a really visually fun film, I think. And it's really humble. I think, you know, we've all been there where we've just had to like been into the doctor and you're like, oh yeah, we, you know, might need to run some tests on this, that, and the other. Yeah. But we can't say for sure what this can be. And, you know, most of the time you get good news and it's fine, but there's still that anxiety of the what ifs and it kind of does a really good job of exploring that thought process that we've all had waiting on test results from your physician or primary care doctor or whomever of you just start to have anxiety and rethink the, well, I shouldn't have said that one stupid thing I said like three years ago to this one person. And you start to like re-examine yourself as a person and the way you treat people and the way that you present yourself to the world. Yeah. And I think it's just a, a nice little film that explores that sort of notion and a really really quick film not super long it's a lot of fun so that is my my second recommendation yeah i think that this is a just a stunning stunning film and you know i think anya svarda is one of the greats one of the masters every time i i dive into one of her films i am delighted by what she is doing whether it's one of her more experimental works, whether it's one of her later works like Faces, Places, or whether it's Cleo from 5 to 7. I think Cleo from 5 to 7 is just so moving and so beautiful. And yeah, I think that she is an incredible filmmaker. And for anyone who has not begun their journey into her work, I think this is an incredible place to start. This was my first entry into her work and it it made me fall in love with her as a feature filmmaker. And many people now know her as a documentarian, but I think that this is just, I think that she often gets overlooked in the new wave filmmakers, but I think this is a stunning, stunning work from that time period. This is a great recommendation. My second and last film here is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. It's streaming currently on Netflix and Spike Lee is one of my favorite filmmakers. And I have to say, I think he is one of the, the masters of, of cinema uh, currently working. And I just, I love what he is continuing to do. I could have chosen American Utopia, which I just watched recently as well, which is on HBO Max. He so effortlessly moves between documentary and live performance and fiction film. But The Five Bloods is one of my favorite films of 2020. And it is an absolutely riveting film. I I love the way that he, in so many of his films, will take genre and yet he will infuse it with so many of the themes and ideas and political messages that he's interested in exploring in his work. And Defy Bloods is no, no different. Defy Bloods is the story of Vietnam vets who return to ostensibly recover the body of a, a fallen comrade, but they're also there to recover some gold that they had found and left as well. And it's kind of a little bit of a treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it becomes this violent confrontation mixed up with memories of their their fallen comrade. And there's a lot to do with regret and a lot to do with the, the traumas of war. 
it features some really incredible performances from Delroy Lindo and Clark Peters and Jonathan Majors and Chadwick Boseman in one of his final performances. Like so many of Spike Lee's films, he uses this collage of styles from newsreel footage to direct address to the monologues, the the ways in which he will use action sequences and conversations. It's just this incredibly invigorating, deeply political, really powerful film about the the wounds of war and the ways that Black Americans were exploited by the U.S. government during Vietnam. And it's masterful. And like, like so many of Spike Lee's films, there are a lot of layers that will reward multiple viewings. And it's one that I honestly cannot wait to revisit. That's so exciting. It's on my list. I'm also a huge Spike Lee fan. And yeah, he's just one of those filmmakers that I feel like there's some that it's their job and it's like, oh, I make movies and this is my job and this is what I do. Whereas Spike Lee, I feel just so in love with cinema and mm-hmm. is very involved in that world. I mean, he teaches it. He's a filmmaker. He's an activist. Mm-hmm. He's also not one to sugarcoat the truth. And I think, I mean perfect example of that is do the right thing i mean that came out in the 80s and we're still dealing with some of those those issues with racial inequity and violence against the black community and he's always been an activist and always been one to say you know this is wrong and this is awful and this is not how we should be as a society and i also appreciate that he will not just make one film about it and then let it go he continues to push the envelope and will will not be silenced and will continue to be a voice for the Black community. And I can't thank him enough for that. The last film of his I saw was Black Klansman, and that was an absolutely striking and just outstanding film. I mean, it just, it's funny, it's daring, it's based Mm -hmm. on a true story. So you're just like, what? This actually happened? That's insane. (laughs) And it's super fun. And then you get to the end of the film and it's just... I, I saw it at the at the cinema with my partner and we were like super into it. We we're like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. It's such a good time. It's really funny and charismatic and captivating. And then, you know, at the end of the film, he cuts to, this is the actual truth of what actually happened. And this is still an issue that we need to talk about. And he just goes, oh, there's the Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Spike Lee notion that we were all waiting for because yeah, he's he's very in your face. He's very honest. And he does it in a way that's so charming and so, so beautiful. And yeah, he doesn't he doesn't let you ignore the truth, which I really appreciate about his movies and does it in a way that's so stylistic and just gorgeous and very true that I, yeah, I'll never stop watching his work. He's his body of work is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you say about the the ending of Black Klansman. And I think he does that here as well, where he does such a great job, no matter how funny a film, no matter how much a film might be a, this one becomes kind of a bit of an action film at times. He does such a great job of drawing a, a direct through line from whatever it is that you're watching into whatever's going on in the current political moment. And I find that really, really compelling and i think that he never sacrifices the artistry of his work to make a political statement but he's never one to shy away from making a political statement through his art and i just think he he walks that in line so beautifully definitely well 
if you are looking for more films from master filmmakers, those are four more titles to catch this month on other streaming services. Ashes and Diamonds from Andre Waja on HBO Max. Small Axe by Steve McQueen on Amazon Prime. Cleo from 5 to 7 by Agnes Varda on HBO Max. And The Five Bloods by Spike Lee on Netflix. Britt, once again, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a real delight and a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Where can people find you online? Let's see. I am on Facebook, Britt Condiff. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and also Taste is my film app of choice under the same screen name, admit underscore Brit. And pretty soon I'm going to have to reactivate my letterbox <laughs> subscription because I let it, let it die for a while just because I wasn't super active on it. But now that I know that more people are, are on it, I'm going to re-download it. So eventually you'll be able to find me there too. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of CriterionCast at Patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the show at Patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to thank this month's new Patreon supporter, Aaron West. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I'd like to continue to thank all of our regular supporters. Your support really does mean so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, my guest and I will sit down to discuss February's new and expiring titles. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.